Welcome to the Collective West podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to supporting young people in Melbourne's West. My name is Julia. And I'm Michael. This week on the podcast, Julia and I dive into the topic of COVID-19 and the impacts that it's had on our own businesses, our own relationships and life generally. through waves of emotions mm-hmm. <laughs> still going through waves of emotion like last night how yeah. the new government yeah, yeah. policy has just changed again and mm-hmm. I feel like we're you know taking a bit of a step back yeah just when I've been kind of a bit excited with what's to come um so yeah I think saying that it's been hard is an understatement but at the same time I feel like there's lots of silver linings that's been you know seen throughout yeah. the process it's been three four months or whatever it is um and definitely it's been dramatic for our business uh you know going from a position where 2020 was meant to be the year <laughs> you know like i was coming into 2020 from a you know business perspective i was like yes i've already locked yep. down 50 percent of our jobs 50 percent 50 percent the year for the year. Oh, so that was, you know, like year on year, we've been able to scale the company, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So last year we made Target by sort of July, August, which was really exciting for us. Um, and then by the end of December into January, we already locked down 50% of our Target revenue, which is big and mm. quite, you know, and we work by calendar year as well. So I was really, really excited for that. Um and then we had so many interesting conversations, so many exciting projects in the pipeline. We had new staff starting and everything like that. And then obviously it all kind of just um, went downhill real fast in March. Uh, and, you know, just having to have that moment of going, shit, I don't know what the what to do. Uh, and then having to regroup and think about that. But what I've learned is, you know, you just got to kind of just take it in and just go, everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's going through the same thing. Um, you got to really look after yourself before you can even look after everyone else. So I think Victor and I have to really be like, okay, we just got to focus, stay calm, you know, just chill out. You don't have to try to overachieve in this time because you physically can't do that. <laughs> um, and then just think about things that we can try to achieve in the meantime. Um, and, you know, you adapted pretty quickly. Yeah, we had to, you know. It was kind of like, it was that weird thing of going, okay, do we, you know, as an events company, we were the first industry to go. Yeah. I've always been saying this. And we're going to be the last industry to come back as well, you know. Yeah. Restaurants are starting to open up, but by no means the government is not going to say, let's have a big, events, you know, yeah. event straight yeah. away. Um, and even then, when the government does allow that, the client has to be confident enough to feel like they can host these kind of gatherings too. So we we had a choice. It was like, go and hibernate, fire everyone, or <laughs> stand them down if you like, save the cash, and then um, open up again when we're ready. And, you know, from some people's business perspective, which we've consulted, said that's technically the way that you should go because why are you mm. continuing a business when you're not making money? Yeah. You know, that's just silly. Um, but we chose to go, now we'll just take a stab at this. Mm -hmm. Like I started from nothing. Like Mm -hmm. for me, it's kind of like the worst case scenario is 
I have to let go of my office. Yeah. I have to sadly let go of all my staff and I have to bloody start again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I kind of go, you know what? I've done it once already. Um, I'll be able to do it again. Mm-hmm. Like I feel confident that that's the case. But whilst this is the situation, I really want to be able to just take a stab and just try something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just try something new. And so that's why we've chosen to pivot, you know, famous swivel. Swivel. <laughs> swivel. <laughs> Yeah. You know, yeah. swivel our way to digital and things like that and take the opportunity to learn and, and work with the team, you know, mm-hmm. while we have an amazing team and everyone's been very understanding. The clients have been amazing mm. and it's no one's fault. So there's no one really to blame. And I realized this ages ago, my other mentor said to me, you know, you can only control what's within the circle of control. Yeah. <laughs> and right now mm-hmm. COVID is not within my control. So I'm just going to keep going with whatever we're doing now so yeah how about you how's it been for you and what are your thoughts well i mean i think on a personal level it was really difficult Mm. i think that the huge change in lifestyle was a big thing Mm. so going from traveling to the city most days Mm -hmm. seeing friends on the weekend yeah um being home i mean not being home at really regularly at all yeah and having to just be home all the time yeah, like for yeah. work like so yes. just being home 24 7 yeah was really hard not having a distinction between what was work what mm. was personal what was pleasure yeah because i use my bedroom as my office yeah so literally i sleep yeah now two meters away from yeah, where yeah, i work yeah, yeah. and i work two meters away from where <laughs> yeah. i sleep so that that was a huge change and yes. i think it really hit hard in march not only for that lack of distinction, but also March was actually a pretty scary month. Mm. Like almost every single day was something new. Yeah. Was the World Health Organization saying now it's a global pandemic, now saying there's restrictions on what you can and can't do. Yeah. That was pretty scary because it was the first time in my lifetime that I've ever actually lived through something like this. Yeah, of course. Where it's a huge change in lifestyle. Yeah. Um, You have to really rethink how you work. Yeah. What you do for pleasure, what you do for play. Yeah. So true, hey, like just even going to the supermarket and then just standing in the aisles and yeah. being like, oh my God, there's literally exactly. nothing on the shelf. Yeah. And everyone is in like this weird panic yeah. of like, I need to just buy everything. And it is, yeah, you're right. It's that, like that change and that kind of realization was really freaky. It was, it was the first time that yeah. I've actually been in a scarcity mindset. I mm. think I've been privileged enough for most of my life to experience some sort of scarcity, but mm. not to the point where it's like insecurity. Yeah. yeah. Where I've, you know, we've all experienced hardship and adversity, but not to that degree. Yeah. And it really got me thinking on a personal level. Um, my parents live in Singapore, but they're mm. turning 90 this year. Mm. So they were born during the Great Depression in the yeah. 1930s. Yeah. They were teenagers during mm-hmm. World War II. Yeah. They were like maybe in their 20s when the Cold War happened. Mm-hmm. And then all the different wars that happened from like, you know, yeah. 1960s <laughs> to 2000. There was a few, yeah. There were adults when 9-11 happened. Yeah, yeah. So they, almost every decade of their life, mm-hmm. a life-changing event happened. Yeah, true. Which is really crazy when you think about it. Because mm-hmm. they've not only lived through Corona in 2020, but in t- 2009, they lived through SARS. Yep. Which is a type of coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. So every 10 years, they've had to yeah. face these monumental <laughs> shifts in their lifestyle. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to face them yeah. because of how they've adapted to adversity. And almost mm. that level of uncertainty has become their norm. Yeah, yeah. But for the first time in, I think, our generation, I would say that this is an actual event that's changed. Yeah, absolutely. How we live. Like yeah. fundamentally reshaped how yeah. we think about the world. Yeah. 9-11, I think I was a bit too young. Yeah. I was like six. Yeah. Um, but this is something that's going to be like radically changed. Yeah. How we live. Yeah. Work and play. 
business-wise um, and even work, mm. very similar to you. So we at work has policy consultants. A lot of our projects with clients got put on hold or just mm. straight up cancelled. Mm-hmm. So it was quite scary in March and April when we saw just our business diminishing. Yeah. And 2020 for us was going to be a huge year as well. Yeah. We, we had an income target that was massive. Yeah. But like you, we started the year off really strongly. Yeah. We had secured maybe not 50%, but definitely 30 or 40%. <laughs> <laughs> that was your cat. Yes. We secured like 20 to 30%. Yeah. And yeah. it was looking really great. Mm. And then to go through that dip in March and April was really scary. Yeah. Um, but since then, we sort of rebounded mm-hmm. from May and June. And That's good. Yeah. yeah. And very similar with the silver lining that you've... Um, that you said before. I realized how inefficient I was working in the past. <laughs> In the sense that I could be just as effective mm. in um, getting work or mm-hmm. delivering high quality value to clients from home. Mm. And I don't actually need to be in a physical office space. Yeah. The thing that I really missed about being in the office space mostly was the social connection. Yeah. And just seeing people. Yeah. Yeah. Face to face every yeah. day. Yeah. That's important too, though. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's also really interesting. I remember reading straight away on LinkedIn within the first couple of weeks of COVID or March, let's just say, someone wrote, um, you know, now is the way to rethink about how you should work. And you realize that you don't actually need events Mm -hmm. and you don't need to meet people one-on-one and you just do it via the phone and everything will be fine. We could just all work from home and things will be more efficient. And I was a bit like, I I got a bit angry, obviously, a little bit biased because I run an events company. (laughs) But then I also realized, you know, it's like, yes, we do, we can do a lot of those things. And yes, there are efficiency. But at the same time, that social connection, that person kind of like, in the same space as you is also really important. Like I think people need to, you know, be reminded of that as well. Like obviously doing it with social distancing and blah, 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 you know, and all of those kind of things is very important. But I don't think you can quickly just rule out and say, you know, that every company and every business can operate successfully and, you know, all of that completely remotely because social interaction is so important mm-hmm. that's how the ideas bounce around yeah. you know and it was we learned that a lot in our team as well because where we have an open plan office mm-hmm. there's six of us um victor's the only male <laughs> and all of us girls you know we're pretty loud and and you've met them and you know we're all quite um you know opinionated in our, our own ways and that's how we brainstorm mm-hmm. like you know, one of us will have a problem or something, um, we'll yell it out in the room and everyone else will jump in and, you know, share ideas and kind of rip it apart and, and put it back together and help each other that way. And so bringing the team to working from home and we're doing, you know, first we started off with like morning checks in, check-ins yeah. on Zoom yeah. and it's great, but it's like this kind of weird thing of going, we don't have that ability to bounce off each other mm-hmm. as effectively as we did, you know, and so we, it's just kind of that way of going, we really miss being yeah. <laughs> in an office together. Um, and some of our creative work works best when we are, you know, around a table and just freely talking and not having to schedule and have tight time frames and, you know, via Zoom and stuff like that. So, yeah, we're doing what we can and what we have to now, but still love being in person when we can. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like those incidental, as, you, as you're talking, what I was thinking about was those incidental conversations. Mm, mm-hmm. or, I mean, those water cooler conversations, we don't have water coolers anymore, but those <laughs> those incidental pockets mm. of interaction mm. where you're like, oh, this is the type of work you're doing. This is the type of, um, of work I'm doing. Yeah. 
let's put it together. Yeah. And that's sort of like how innovation and creativity yeah. is sparked, especially yeah. in my line of work. We, I work for a yeah, exactly. big organization. Yeah. There's a lot happening all the time. Yeah. We have a research arm, we have a programs team, um, and then we have the team that I work in. Yeah. And being able to collaborate across those teams is really valuable. So yeah. you don't really duplicate existing work. Yeah. Or replicate something that they've already done and yeah. had all the learnings from. Mm. Is it, Have you found any ways in this COVID environment? Because I think for a long time, we're probably not going to go back to yeah, yeah. in-person things. Yeah. Have, yeah. You, have you figured out any ways to actually mimic that? <laughs> um, well, we actually tried to implement a new system. Mm-hmm. This is probably my panic approach. And I realized it totally didn't work. I it, straight away we have a like work in progress system already in place. Mm-hmm. That's what we've been doing for years, and it works. But when sort of COVID hit and everyone was working online, I felt like, um, in a way, I didn't have full control over what everyone was doing, and I couldn't hear all those conversations anymore. And I felt really bizarre. So I implemented this <laughs> one of those you know like digital. Um, system online where you all work from the same board like Trello yeah. and you know yeah. Monday.com and yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever else Asana and all of that kind of stuff anyway we paid for it which was expensive um, and I was like I just want everyone on this and like so I can see and we can collaborate and there's this you know board and we can put ideas in and it totally flunked like yeah. everyone was trying really hard to work on it but we just didn't just didn't work out because it was like an extra layer of work um so what we found that was the simplest thing is we have a WhatsApp group um, and we now have found like for each of our projects, we have a different WhatsApp group. Okay. <laughs> so even though it's the same group of people, yeah. but we're just trying to organize our conversations, if you like. Mm-hmm. So if it's stuff about couch community, you know, we, we chat in there. And if it's stuff about, you know, normal business, it's in the team one and then it's specific projects. That's been kind of helpful. Um, we've tried to reduce our check-ins in the morning, but when we do, we do go just freely around, around the virtual room, if you like, and just say, anyone have anything they're stuck on? What's, you know, what's something that you're not, you're needing help on, or mm-hmm. you're having issues kind of problem solving? What, what's something that you are working on for the day? Um, and they kind of usually would say, I'm doing, these are my milestones for today. And someone else in the team would usually be like, oh, I can help you with that. Mm-hmm. Or I've done it like this. Have you realized that this system has changed and things like that? So I think having kind of a bit of a framework of conversations has been really helpful. So for me to be like in the morning, really efficiently going, what's your milestone today? You know, um, anyone stuck on anything, you know, and then we move on. So people can kind of pitch in in that way. Um, And having this kind of WhatsApp group for that kind of, you know, water cooler conversation. (laughs) Um, But, you know, sometimes... It works, but it's not, it's also overwhelming as well. Like, cause so many people chatting, oh my goodness. Like to keep track of. I'm in an hour meeting. I come back and there's like 64 messages <laughs> and I'm like scrolling through going, what are you guys talking about here? Someone just tell me. Yeah. So I don't think we found a solution, but that's kind of what we're doing at the moment to yeah. Keep brainstorming and keep having the conversation. Yeah. Open. I think we're, we're trying similar things. So we split up usually the, the meeting that we have in person, the one hour meeting. Mm. We split that up into smaller meetings, but more frequent. Mm. Still, The jury's still out on whether how effective that is. Mm. Uh, but I think we've become more accustomed just connecting over Zoom or connecting mm-hmm. over video conference calls. Mm. The way that we originally worked anyway was very, not in isolation, but very separate from each other to begin with. Yeah. So we have sort of our own sort of pieces of work 
that mm-hmm. we manage ourselves and then we have associates under it. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, we've become far more efficient in our meetings because like only has necessary, we'll reach out to other people. Mm. But in other ways, it's also created, it's, it's deep in those silos yep. that sort of already existed beforehand. Yeah. That we're not sort of communicating across. Yeah. We're communicating vertically and yeah. then we're requiring, requiring like a director, for instance, to then say, oh, you should talk to this person. Mm. because they're getting everything so yep. what we're what the pattern that we're finding is there's more bottlenecks mm. because yep. it's being funneled to one person and that one person then has to distribute it out yeah, to yeah, all the yeah. different people yep. and the conversation horizontally across the team is I, for me at least has been a bit more difficult yeah but it's something that I wanted to pick up on with sort of the shifting goals that you had mm. is there anything that I don't want to say COVID has disrupted but may have revealed about the goal? I think personally for me, <laughs> it's made me realize that um, I'm definitely someone who's a workaholic. I know everyone could probably. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't know that about you, Julia. I think everyone <laughs> obviously noticed that. But I think for me, it was like, like it's become my lifestyle, you know? I think this is like similar to the conversation we had a little while back. It's like business is a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I've been living in it for a while. And suddenly that kind of March, April phase, I had to really say, you need to just switch off. Yeah. Um, because there's actually physically and like nothing that I can do right now. So I, I think I've to... been telling you that for <laughs> at least since I've known you. I know. For at least four years. I know. And so it was this weird thing of me going, okay, like find something else to do at night time. <laughs> Um, because there's no point looking, you know, at other jobs or looking at spreadsheet or planning because there's literally nothing mm. I could plan for. So I went through this phase. I literally went and bought a Nintendo Switch. Yep. <laughs> um, in the panic of everyone else buying a Nintendo Switch and I was seeing everyone playing Animal Crossing yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to get into this. And then Victor's like, just so you know, I know you, you're not a gamer. You'll drop it within a week. <laughs> and then I was like, no, I'm going to I'm gonna buy one. And it's like, I don't care. I'm just going to buy one. I'm going to play games. Like, I just need to relax. And then he's like, okay, I'll tell you. But, you know, don't tell me. <laughs> You're not going to play. Anyway, so I bought it. And then I played for about, you know, consecutively for a couple of days. For like three weeks. Mm. Um, and it's like dead right now. And I'm not even into it anymore. But what I did realize is that I didn't need to switch off. Um, and I needed to find things that were entertaining to me that I like doing mm-hmm. that isn't work related, mm-hmm. which involved binging a lot of Netflix, yeah. um, reorganizing my house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, like going through my bookshelf, cleaning it out, reorganizing all my clothes and things like that. And just like, I guess doing, yeah, my work is around organizing. So that's probably why I applied it to my own home life. Um, and then just spending time with, you know, Victor, like we were actually, you know, being in business together, we were like, holy moly, we haven't had time to cook together yeah. at home, yeah. like almost ever, mm-hmm. <laughs> unless it's cooking for someone else, like my family coming mm-hmm. over. So it was this whole discovery of like, actually, let's just pick what we want to eat one night and just actually spend time in the kitchen. So that was really, really nice. Like being able to have those kind of moments, I guess, with him over the past, you know, we've married for four years. We've been in business for three years together. Mm-hmm. Um, not ever actually having that kind of moment of like just chilling at home and doing, I guess, things together, like husband and wife things. So 
And this I is just, something that what wouldn't have happened, you think, with that? Yeah, yeah. it sounds really bad. <laughs> but no, yeah, you know, like the last three years, it's always been like we work until, you know, five or six normal hours. And mm -hmm. then it's like after work would be either we're staying back to finish stuff or yep. we go and, you know, we catch up with friends or do other meetings. By the time we get home, it's really late to make dinner. Um, and then we're sort of just chilling for, you know, whatever it is. And then it's like, bang, next day, back to, back at work. And you've seen how busy yeah. sort of our business has been over mm -hmm. the last couple of years. It's like literally no time, mm. no downtime, unless we're on holidays. And yeah. that's like, and then you get sick. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's generally the rule as yeah. well. <laughs> so yeah, like the last, um, couple of months, it's been this weird, like I've been at, I feel more Zen. Yeah. Uh, as much as I do, I am stressed about business, but once I can tell myself that I can't do anything about it, I do feel more zen in my own lifestyle because I'm like, it's okay for me to actually sit down and binge watch whatever I want to watch. You know, I don't feel obliged to constantly be working, Yeah. which prior to that, I kind of felt like that was the case because mm -hmm. I was constantly trying to, you know, find more business, you know achieve certain things and you know do this and that and there's always there's always a to-do list like it seemed to never be able to clear my to-do list yeah. so the last couple of months i've been like actually i don't want to look at my laptop at night <laughs> i can actually put that away mm -hmm. you know or like i'm actually gonna help you in the kitchen which i'm not very good at but i'll still be in the kitchen and we can have a conversation about stuff that's not work related so yeah yeah very i think my own experience is pretty similar what it revealed about my goals was I think a lot of the goals I had was very extrinsic mm. so you know achieve this at work mm -hmm. get this amount of projects yeah this level of income yeah um, read this many books etc yes. so it's yes. all very extrinsic easily measurable mm. um, goals that mm. you can implement mm. and there's nothing wrong with those yeah but what it revealed was that I only had those goals mm. which if external events happen all your extrinsic goals are gone. Yeah, yeah. So that disruption really made me think, what intrinsic goals do I really want to have now? Mm. And a big one for me at the start of the year when I started thinking about it sort of pre-COVID was how do I create and invest in meaningful relationships around me? Mm. And when COVID hit, it was like, well, that was really the only goal I had that I could still continue with mm. as business as usual, really. Yeah. So for me... What I started to realize is when we started to have the physical distance, mm -hmm. relationships were so important. Yeah. That social connection for me was like the one thing that really got me through mm -hmm. those really scary periods in March and April mm. and sort of the better times in May and, and now in June. Mm. So yeah, really that social connection was number one. Another one, and this is something that Diana actually said mm. um, in the lead up to our event that we had last Tuesday was... COVID has really shown how many people will fall back into arts yeah. and creativity mm. when things around them are unsettling or ungrounding them mm -hmm. and how many people look for that grounding feeling mm -hmm. and children do it in instinctively, mm. but as adults, I think we lose that. Mm. And I think for me, having COVID happen made me realize how creative I could be mm. and, and then how much energy I actually got out of being creative. Mm. So for me, being creative was like writing more articles, yeah. doing stuff like this, such as the yeah. podcast. And they both fulfill an extrinsic goal, but also provides that energy that I thought that yeah. I think I've locked away yeah. really, that yeah. I've never really had before. Yeah. 
because I've only ever set myself ext- extrinsic goals. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I kind of like the silver lining is that I, I've seen another side of me that I thought wasn't really there. Yeah. And that I now characterize myself or say that I am a creative person. Mm. For me, that label or that identity always really felt uncomfortable. Yeah. For me. Yeah, how interesting. So yeah. now it's like I've, I've sort of reverted back yeah. and try to unlearn those patterns of what creativity or being a creative looks yeah. like. Because I think I had really odd misconceptions of it. Yeah. And that's false. I agree. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And I think I've always sat on the fence of being like a really logistical, you know, practical person versus a really creative kind of person. Because I feel like as kids, you kind of, you know, that right brain, left brain. Mm-hmm stuff which i'm sure it's like it's technically scientifically correct or whatever but i feel like you shouldn't have to be either or you know and then that's what i've discovered even with my own team you know like every one of us are in events management for a reason because we're all detail orientated we, we love you know plans <laughs> all mm. of that but each one of us also have a really interesting creative side yep. that's brought to us by our own lifestyle and things like that you know so um and i think that's why sometimes when we brainstorm it works so well because mm-hmm. we all different things and even with Victor you know who is a financial guy and he's you know growing up thinking that's the only route he always used to say to me that I'm not a creative person you know at all and sometimes he brings the best idea to the table yeah. without even realizing it so um, it's interesting that it's it's this kind of disruption that you're discovering that that you are a creative person mm-hmm. you know as well as everything else too so yeah it's interesting it's almost like when you have not nothing else, but when all your skill sets are exhausted or not fully effective, mm-hmm. um, I think creativity is the one thing that every human can fall back on. Mm. That sounds a bit grandiose, but I think, <laughs> it, I think it's true. Yeah. I think kids do it naturally. Yeah. And we just lose that ability yeah. as adults. And then one of the skills that we need to learn as adults is unlearning those patterns. Yeah. Because I think the education system beats it out of us. Yeah. It's, it's true. About, it's the whole education system is yeah. about extrinsic yeah. measures. Yeah. Like achieve this by this age, and you yeah. move on to the next level. Yeah. And it's just that ladder mm. they continue to climb, and they don't they don't really value education at all. Mm. Mm. So I don't know. That's something that really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's gonna be a whole conversation for another day. Kind yeah. of thing. It's like it's yeah, but it's it's very interesting. So Absolutely. in terms of in terms of post COVID, mm. where does that leave you? Um, hopefully still with a business, <laughs> right? That'd be nice. Practical side. Uh-huh. Uh, but with the, I guess, um, it's, you know, I mean, it goes without saying, the whole landscape of delivering events, particularly in person, will change. Mm-hmm. And getting us uh, in that right mindset, having all the precautions and things like that planned, plus coaching our clients into thinking about all of those kind of risk management side of things yeah. uh, and and actually watching the behaviours of visitors or mm-hmm. attendees mm-hmm. would be quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Like all of that's going to be different, yeah. you know. It's like are, what's the new normal? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And there's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's not, it goes beyond the simple handshake and mm-hmm. hug, you know, to we're, we're at the moment and we're actually planning a exhibition Um for later in the year, which we're hoping is still going to go ahead, which that exhibition usually would have about 3,000 people come yeah. through, uh, you know, with about 150 exhibitors, about 400 people in a venue that are exhibitors alone. And now we're looking at going, okay, if we did this as an in-person, what kind of space do we need 
how do we you know socially distance everyone what kind of precautions we will have in place like people can't just drop in and attend anymore they'll mm. have to fill out a yeah. form for mm-hmm. you know tracking and everything like that so it's just adding another kind of layer of um, I guess thought process mm-hmm. involved um, but then again you know for us it's like risk management has always been a thing you know like from building a marquee looking at all the paperwork to now actually considering all these extra health precautions it's just another kind of layer on top of our risk yeah. assessment that we need to consider and plan but I think it's about building that confidence back with the client and with the visitors is going to be a big challenge mm-hmm. and it's going to be a th- key thing that we'll need to kind of focus on in the next couple of months because people even when you let them out not everyone's going to go out mm. you know when you invite them to come to an event yeah. they're not all going to be there yeah. and it's like um for the clients it's like value proposition you know like why would i want to pay all this money to put on an event mm. if no one's going to be there or do i need to pay extra money to have it both in person and as a hybrid combination online yeah. as well mm-hmm. so for us i think it's more about the psychology than the execution because like i feel confident like we're event managers we've been doing it for a long time we'll come up with a solution that is you know well thought out and safe practice and all of that kind of stuff it's just about going through that psychology of coaching people back into that momentum of going it's okay to come to events you know that events are important and there is a purpose for our industry mm. you know and it shouldn't be something that gets cut and ruled out straight away so mm. i think that business-wise that would be quite interesting to see how about you i think it's really similar <laughs> and w- what you detailed there was like what operating environment mm. will you have to be in at mm. that point and from a, from a policy perspective, what I'm really interested in is that I've been working in sort of the youth unemployment space for like five years. Mm. And we've made slow, like relentless incremental steps mm-hmm. towards alleviating a really complex issue. Mm-hmm. And what I've been telling clients recently and who are in this space as well is that COVID has done in three months to the policy environment what i've tried to do in five years yeah so it's almost you've seen this like acceleration of where yeah, right. like everyone now is on the same page yes like everyone now knows jobs is going to be the number one priority mm. for mm-hmm. everyone regardless mm-hmm. of age more so now for, for young people yep and it's really interesting how i've seen that similar change in risk appetite mm. that a lot of governments are now like let's just get this done mm-hmm. because we know that needs to happen mm-hmm. where traditionally they've been very slow in responding and very mm. reactive mm-hmm. now we're seeing a lot of governments being so proactive about what might happen yeah and really putting where the money where the, their mouths are yeah and not they're only talking about what they want to do they're now putting money and funding stuff yeah um Relooking at policy, hiring people, yep. paying people like us to come in and actually redesign what this could look like. Yeah, yeah. So the whole new notion of what policy environment are we operating in, it's almost like I use the analogy of I started when COVID hit um, making like baking cheese in bread. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How I describe the policy environment that we're in at the moment is like COVID was the oven and yeah. we've put the cheese and the bread in to the oven yeah now we're taking it out yeah and for the next 10 15 minutes of this environment we're now seeing that it's soft and it's yep. malleable and we can change it to and shape it to how we want and it's still delicious <laughs> yeah at right. the moment i love that that's the analogy that i've been telling people so we're, okay. we're in this phase of where it's still soft yeah like yep. it's still great we can still change it mm. we can still be adaptive to it and i'm really curious to say is that going to stay the same Mm. Are governments still going to be in this mindset Mm. or are they going to shift and revert back 
to what they were before? Or yeah. is it going to fundamentally shape just how they approach things? Yeah. I like to think it's the latter. I like to think that they're going to shift into a new way of thinking. Yeah. They have to be innovative. Yeah. They have to be agile. They have to be responsive. Yeah. I think what what's revealed, what COVID's revealed for governments is that a lot of them sort of got caught with their pants down. Mm. Like they just didn't know how to respond to it. You know, mm. we saw that we had a shortage of masks, yep. a shortage of, of ventilators. Yeah. The, the health system didn't know how to respond. Yeah. And the economy wasn't set up to do something like this. Yeah. It was so, so fragile to any change. Yeah. It's like, I think we're going to see a different approach to risk. Like yes. you said, like yeah. we're going to have a approach to risk where it's like, even if the bad things happen, we still kind of benefit. Yeah. So we're going to see a hedging of this. Yeah. Of, of risk, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the nerd inside of me is really excited to really see what, like, I mean, like, what comes out of this in terms of, like, books, yeah. <laughs> like, podcasts, and, like, really, really yeah. what comes out of this. Yeah. So this is changed. See, the art in me is, like, I can't wait to go to the comedy festival next year because yeah. can you imagine mm. how many shows will be on COVID? The jokes, the jokes <laughs> that have come out of it. Yeah, exactly. But it's, it's just really fascinating to yeah. see what's really going to come out of it Yeah. Um, and what's going to change fundamentally has a society mm. and we're seeing young people and I mentioned this before like the social contract that they've signed mm. of going through an education system mm-hmm. getting educated doing all the right things to get a job and then that system completely changing mm. and they weren't made aware of it mm. and now the rules of the game have completely changed mm-hmm. so how we rewrite that social contract for young people or, or every person in yeah. just people generally for yeah. society, how do we rewrite that social contract? Yeah. And what's that going to look like? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is what I think about. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. The nerd in you, the brainiac in you. Yeah. <laughs> Showing. But I, I think it, in terms of even events, right? Mm. It would be like, because the demand for events, I believe, will only go up from here, mm. potentially. I hope so. Yeah, like they'll become such a rare thing that mm. when they do it, it's going to be well-funded, well-invested and well-thought mm. out. Mm. So it's almost like you'll clear out all the crappily organized events mm. and it's only the high quality events that are really thought out, great spaces, all the safety and risks, like mm. you said, have mm-hmm. been approached. Yeah. Um, and for an organization that's thought about it, you, you know, well-primed to actually take back that market mm. when it comes back. Mm. Yeah, that's, well, we're definitely... Hoping for that, but uh, you know, at the moment, I guess we're just doing a lot of digital and online things while we can, and making sure that that's also really engaging and really interesting mm. as well. Because I think the transition, the realistic, you know, real twenty twenty, we're going to see very minimal in person gathering, yeah. if any at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to see a lot of online, virtual, hybrid types events. And even within, you know, for us, it's like, okay, making sure that coming out of this, it's still an engaging kind of aspect to it. And yeah. it's, that's what we're good at. Mm-hmm. And again, convincing a lot of our clients and explaining to them that, yes, you can hold a Zoom mm-hmm. webinar, but how effective is that versus something that we can do for you and really make sure that there is a dip point of difference and there will be a point of difference in engaging our services versus trying to do something in-house, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, so for like, you know, I can already see it and I talk about this a lot with Victor. It's like, it's going to be a long haul for sort of JT and anyone in events and the arts industry mm. to try to be back where we were. Yeah. And I think, you know, the damage is, is huge, you know, like we can put a dollar sign on it or whatever, but it's going to be such a long process to kind of work through that. 
Um, and it's only going to be the people who really persist and is good at what they're doing that mm-hmm. will probably get through to the end or get through, get out on the other side. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be for another year or two, to be honest. Like that's yeah. how far I'm forecasting yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. impact is, yeah. you know, and I'm very well aware of the fact that, yeah, it will take a long time. Yeah. It's not like, it's not going to come back in three months time. Mm-hmm. As some people have said about other industries and things like that. I just know it's going to be a while. Yeah. Well, speaking about other industries mm. that is near and dear to my heart, and mm. I'm going to use this podcast to vent a little bit. Mm, um, it's a travel industry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right, because you were going to go traveling. Yes. Next month, right? Two weeks. Oh. In two weeks, I. Well, where, week, where, were you meant to, where would you be? So, in a, for everyone listening, mm. um, I had booked uh, what I call the mid mid 20s get, getting to fi- uh, finding myself a mm. uh, European trip. So I was supposed oh. to go there for two months over J- July and August. Oh, yes. So this was a holiday that I've been booking. Um, and I don't know, cry me a river, play me a small violin. But this was a holiday <laughs> I've been booking for almost a solid year, like yep. planning for a solid yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember because every time we catch up, exactly. you tell us I'd about mention, it. I think, I think I told everyone I interacted with, oh yeah, by the way, I'm going to Europe for two yeah, months. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that industry is being ravaged. Mm. More, like I think the worst probably. And mm-hmm. um I think the federal government's come out and said there's no international travel besides yeah. probably to New Zealand yeah. till 2021. And even then, yeah. who will travel? Yeah, who exactly. wants to be on a plane Yes, like that? Yes. Or, and, and go to another country where travel insurance probably won't cover you yeah. because it's a global pandemic, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think for... I think that lack of ability to travel, I think, is going to impact a whole, I think, generation of mm. young people who mm. otherwise would have used travel as, in a, as a bit of an escape or even to just finding themselves. Mm. Something that I really like to say is like there's two ways you find about you two ways you find out about the world. It's like mm-hmm. one you travel it, mm-hmm. um, and the second you read about it. Mm-hmm. So if you can't, tra- for people who don't like reading, traveling it is like the next mm-hmm. best option. Mm. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I just wanted to mention it. Yeah. <laughs> Fair like, enough. Though so I'm I'm in the same uh, kind of boat. I didn't have a two months plan holiday, but yeah. I definitely look at it now and I'm like. Damn, I really want to... Like, maybe I should have gone to Europe earlier. <laughs> it's almost this thing that you can't have, you want now. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I should have gone to Japan and yeah. Korea. Like, all the countries that I... Is on the bucket mm-hmm. list um, that I really want to go to. That I'm like, oh, you know, like, how are you going to go now? Kind of thing. But I'm very thankful that, obviously, we just came back from a holiday trip mm-hmm. just in time mm. before all of this kind of happened in January to Singapore. Um and a few other countries and that was amazing and we were on a cruise ship too so <laughs> I know I like I don't care what you say about cruise ships but the one that we were on was massive and it was amazing yeah. <laughs> it was definitely amazing and I think when all of this clear I would be confident to go back on a cruise ship really yeah yeah interesting it sounds crazy yeah yeah it does sound crazy. I would never go near a cruise ship anymore really just, yeah it's just like a cesspool of disease by what they call what, what yeah, people I, are telling me I know do you know what it's bizarre that's true Actually, now that I'm saying it, no, but I would still go on it. Yeah. Like I probably would go on it next year. You know, mm-hmm. I'd wait. But, yeah, yeah. Um, it well, was they might so good. Yeah. yeah. Like it was, it was actually so good, and it was actually really clean and hygienic. The one that we were on, anyway. Yeah. Royal Caribbean, <laughs> and it was massive. And there was like, it's not one of those. We can name a name, but anyway, it's it was big, and they were very clean and everything. And you know, anyway, we had a great time. And that is a wrap up of episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. 
really hope that you got a lot of value out of it. If you're interested in finding out more about what Julia and I do, you can find us at www.collectivewest.com.au. Look forward to hearing from you.